Well, my name is Donnie Tapey. I oversee young adult ministry here at Antioch. I help, I help oversee the life groups for Antioch. That's kind of my role here. Um, I have a beautiful family. I have a wife named Meredith. There they are. Yeah. She's, she, she's awesome. Sorry. Staring too long. Um, that's, uh, that's Addie, the uh, little girl there. She's four years old, and Lachlan is nine months old. He's awesome, and he drools a lot. So he's great, though. I love him. Uh, so that's me and my family. We're going to jump right in because I do have a lot. Of, I've got a lot tonight, but um, I'm excited because, man, just anytime you spend time preparing um, anything like this, man, it just I get so filled up with a love of God and who God is and who he is for us that I, I just like I'm, I'm itching for it. So I, I know you all had a long day at work, but engage with me a bit longer uh, and it's going to be great. All right. So. If you have your Bible, great, Bible on your phone, whatever, turn to Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Oh, yeah, that's where we're going. Headed to good places. And I normally don't talk with a mic if I'm ever up here. I have a little headset, so I may, I talk with my hands. So I come from an Italian family, and uh, yeah, fellow Italian, yeah, lasagna, just kidding. Um, all right, so Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Uh, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Amen. All right, so that verse, keep that in your minds as we move forward from here. We're going to revisit that in a moment. Um, some of you, when I first uh, came on staff at Antioch, I, I, the first time I preached, I kind of gave a bit of my testimony. So if any of you all have heard some of this before, I apologize but I'm going to kind of tell it from a little bit of a different standpoint. So, and just a, just a short part of it. So a little bit of background for me was, so I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Um, and uh, I grew up in a single parent home. My, my mom was the one that, that, that raised us. And um, my dad had left about a week before my first birthday is when he left. He had been caught in, uh, in uh, uh, adultery. And so when he, when, he, when he came and he got his stuff from the house, I was only a baby, so I don't remember any of this. This is via my, my older brother, Matt. He was eight years old at the time. And my mom <clears throat> uh, was that, uh, they, they asked him, they said, Dad, why are you leaving? Like, why are you, and my, my, eight-year-old, my eight-year-old brother at the time, he's eight years old, um, he was like, Dad, why are, you, why are you leaving? And the reason he gave was, he said, I want to be successful. He said, I want to be able to pursue. That's what, he, that's what he told my brother. So that left a mark on us. That was his uh, thing that he was running for. Um, and obviously, that, that left a mark on us. And those wounds I've dealt with uh, as much as I can, things still come up sometimes. And I'm like, man, I thought that was done with. But God is kind and he has grace for those things. Um, so way fast forward all the way to college. So go to college, get into a relationship wasn't freshman year relationship. This was uh, college, and everybody jumps in a relationship freshman year of college. 
Um, but I jumped in. So I ended up being in that relationship for three years. And the third year of that was engagement. I was actually engaged and this was not Meredith. Um, so, uh, through that process, a whole lot of things happened. I could go into the, into the nitty gritty details. And if you want that, ask me to coffee and we'll sit down and we'll do that. I'd love to go through it all, but long story short, uh, she was unfaithful to me during, during our engagement. And so, that was a catalyst for me to break up with her. It, it, we took about six months, honestly. I, we tried to work it through, tried to walk through forgiveness, and I, and I did genuinely, but just we just couldn't make things work. And we had already had a venue picked out. We had had, like, plans for the wedding, all, the, all these different things going on. Um, but at the end of the relationship, I, I called it off because I was exhausted. I was so tired. Um, and I was, I was exhausted because I was trying so hard to be everything to her. Every effort, I, I was trying to be her emotional support. I was trying to be, um, I was trying to be basically any need she had. I mean, I was trying to be the perfect boyfriend. And I was pretty good at it for the first two years. But then that, that third year, when engagement, when the stakes were raised, I, I wasn't enough. Um, and so, and there was also other things that I wasn't uh, being faithful in as well. Um, and so relationship ended. I moved to D.C. I needed a change of scenery big time. And so I moved to D.C., not be- because I love the capital or anything, but because my, my, my brother Matt lives there or lived there. So I moved there, moved in with my brother for a summer. I just needed to get away from it, from it all. And I felt kind of like my world was ending. Um, it wasn't, praise God, but that's how it felt. At the time, I just felt so broken. Um, but while I was there, I didn't have any friends. And so I began to spend time with God daily in the word and in prayer. And I began to share with my brother just more about what had gone on. And those three things, time with God, prayer, and sharing with other people had kind of ceased about halfway through that relationship. Um, just to kind of note that, uh, And I think, too, one of the reasons that I began to just engage with God over that summer, it wasn't because I was like, Lord, I need you. You're the only thing for me. You know, I wasn't like having perspective about what was most important in my life. I was desperate for answers. And I was angry and I was frustrated with God because I was like, I have done everything right. I have tried to lead her. We prayed together, for goodness sake. You know, we did all these different things. Like I was like, I tried to walk out this relationship as best as I could. Why? What? Like? Am I doomed? Because all these fears began coming up in me about my past. And like, because I didn't have a dad, does that mean that I can't be a man of God or I don't know how? Does it mean that, you know, I'm damaged good now, good's now been in an engagement? Like, how am I going to explain that to the next person? All these things were coming up in me that wasn't just about the lost relationship, because honestly, I was pretty miserable during most of the relationship. So, the sadness and the sorrow was coming from somewhere else. And so I was, you know, I was, I had good intentions in that relationship. You know, I, I desired to be faithful. I desired to be this amazing boyfriend. I desired to be a good husband and father in the future. I wanted these things. I wanted to be a godly man. Yet regardless of my intentions, that's, I was looking at a relationship that might've landed me with kids, with no, with no dad, or, or, or with a mom and dad that were divorced, and I'd be living, reliving what I grew up with. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, I was so frustrated. Uh, the same sins and weaknesses were, were 
growing up, you know, it was like cracks in the concrete out of my life. I was like, what, what is going on? And that's what I kept asking God was what is going on. And that summer was one of the hardest seasons of my life, but it was also one of the sweetest seasons of my life. Um, so like I said, I was just so tired. And I remember one night I was laying on my brother's futon. Um, that's where I slept in his office on the futon. It was very uncomfortable. And, um, and I just, I was like, just laying in bed, just my, I couldn't go to sleep. My mind was racing. And I just said to God, I was like, God, I'm so done. I'm so done. Like trying, I don't even want to think about a future relationship because if it looked anything like that, it was exhausting. I, I can't do it. And I said, I want to do things your way, Lord, just show me how. And it was like, instantly, it was like the presence of the Lord came in the room and I had never had an experience like that in my entire life up until that point. And, and it was like the Lord peeled back the eyelids of my heart and just began to show me all the times that he had like raised a red flag and I ignored it. And the times that my brother came and asked me, hey, what about this? This is kind of weird. What, what's happening here? And I would defend it. And he showed me all the times that I wasn't listening. I didn't have my ears open. But I was finally willing to listen. And so over, that, over the rest of that summer and the next two years of singleness, I spent so much, two and a half years, I spent so much time with God and so much time in the scriptures. Uh, I felt like I'd been in a dry desert and I was like finally in this oasis and I was like, you know, splashing around. I was like, I was like so excited to be, to feel healthy again, to have some perspective. And I came across this verse that we read tonight. All things were created through him and for him. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he might be first place in everything or that he might be preeminent in everything. First place in everything <clears throat> and many other scriptures. And through them, one of the things he showed me that, that largely my, my motivation for staying in the relationship had not been to honor God or to love her and, and help her know God more. Uh, it was out of wounding to not be like my father. I had made a vow in my heart that, man, I will never leave a relationship. I'll go down with the ship burning. And that's what I was doing. I was not going to leave. And the catalyst to that was her unfaithfulness that kind of shocked me out of that. I had been, so I was living out of, a, out of a vow, out of an unhealthy vow. I had been idolizing the relationship. I'd been finding my deepest joy and satisfaction in how she felt about me and, and whether or not she was happy and what people thought of our relationship, if this was like a good thing. And if, you know, I was engaged, that was kind of cool to be able to tell people, you know, I, I enjoyed all of that. My identity was in what she thought of me. Uh, and simp simply put, he showed me how Jesus was not first place in my life. He wasn't preeminent. He wasn't the main thing. He wasn't most important. And one of the things I didn't expect out of this is it was that for, for um, one of the first times in my life, I looked at my dad's choices with compassion instead of contempt. Because that's how I viewed him for most of my high school years. I tried not to, but it often kind of went back in my heart to contempt for his choices because I did the same thing he did. He picked success and what, what people would think of him, the love of man. And I, and I had just picked something different. I picked a, a relationship, a person. And that was unbelievably healing for me and unbelievably humbling for me because I realized that we're, we're on the same plane. And I could look at him and actually have compassion on him. Be like, 
man, I wish someone had spoken into his life at that time. You know, when he left, he was 30 years old. That was how old, I'm two years older than that that right now. Uh, It also put the fear of God in me in a way that I'd never had before. To be like, wow, okay, like, you know, what, what, God, like if this can happen to me and I didn't even see it coming. So why do I tell you that story? No, this is not a talk on dating, um, although it could be. Um, this is not a talk on father wounds, but it also could be. But my goal is way broader than that tonight. Um, that relationship for me was an idol, right? Right? Come on, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, that relationship for me was an idol. I was telling a heavy story, so I won't get, pull us out of that. So that relationship for me was an idol, I was worshiping that idol. I was giving all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength to it. Uh, So what is an idol? Uh, Is it a person? No. Yes, sometimes. What is idolatry? The biblical definition of an idol is anything that you love more than God. Anything to which you give your greatest affection to, if if that's not God, if that's not Jesus. Anything that comes in between you and Jesus in the sense. It doesn't mean that you can't go to work because you need to be praying and in the holy place closet praying, you know, and speaking in tongues. No, it means that if there's anything that you love, that your deepest joy, that place where you get excited and jump for at the football game, if, it, if, if there's anything that really provides you more joy than Jesus, that's the definition of an idol. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the heart. Dang. Like, I read that during that summer, and I was like, I I thought I was right in my way. But so what did I need? I need the Lord to weigh my heart and tell me to to be the standard of, of, of where my heart was at. So honestly, how did I end up there? And I was actually leading a life group at the time during this relationship. Lord help them. Um... So there's grace for all of y'all. Um, so I never, and it was just a guy's life group, so thankfully I didn't screw up any young ladies. Um, just the men of God. Uh, so, I, you know, I never intended or made the decision to, to make her an idol in my life. I was, you know, I, I was never like, I'm going to live my life out of a vow to not be like my father. You know, I had I, never, the idol didn't walk up and knock on my door and say, I would love to... Uh, steal your joy, and I'd love to destroy your soul. How does that sound? You know, and I was like, great, let's proceed. I I thought I was on the right path, you know? (laughs) Proceed was a weird word choice. Um, It's all right. So, yeah, so a a theologian named R.C. Sproul in a commentary on Romans, uh, on Romans 1, said this, idols are not... We get the slide for that. <laughs> Idols are not um, made from scratch. It involves the distortion of already present truth. The truth is changed into a lie. The lie depends upon the truth. It is distorting for its power, just as the counterfeit depends upon the authentic for its value. So if we all use silver dollars to pay for everything and you came in with a $20 bill, you'd be like, what is this? You know, it wouldn't mean anything without the real $20 bill. Does that make sense? Our idols of God contain truths within them, making them all the more seductive to us. So what is he saying? The lies um, that the idols in our lives tell us 
are based on actual truths about God or about what we are made for or about our purpose. The lie is introduced. Doubt about who God is is introduced. The truth is distorted by a lie, so it still resembles truth enough to be palatable that we can swallow it without going, something's wrong here. In Genesis 3, this is exactly what Satan did with Adam and Eve, what the serpent did. Um, so in Genesis 3, it says, uh, so we'll start where the yellow is. Did God actually, so the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve has a great response. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And here's the lie. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the lie there was that, hey, God's holding out on you. This is really good for you if you would do this, but God doesn't want you to have it because he doesn't want you to be like him. So there's just enough truth in there, just enough to, to, to twist it. And we, the, the, those, those lies are present in every other area of our life. You know, it's like um, in our jobs, you know, you get a big promotion. You know, God is the one that grants success, right? You know, so this new, this new promotion that's consuming my entire life is because the Lord, like, he, he wants this for me. And even though I can't, like, be with my family or my friends or, like, falling behind in my relationship in different areas, even though I'm sacrificing everything, like, God gave this to me. So this is, like... No matter the cost, I'm going to pursue this. Or you're a leader. You're supposed to be above reproach. You can't share that, what you did. If you share that, like people's faith is going to be destroyed. You've got to keep that secret for the sake of others and isolate yourself. Or for me in my context, in the relationship, the lie was, look at the destruction that your father's life laid in its wake from his inability to commit. Don't you want to be a man of God? Don't you want to be committed? You need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. You can't leave her high and dry in her place of need. Like she needs you to grow in her relationship with God. That's literally what I believed. And an idol can even be a, be a belief about God. If it's a belief that doesn't align with who God is as revealed in scripture. Does that make sense? So an example would be, God loves you. He's a good father, truth. And a good father has really high standards. God's grace is for those that obey him. And you've really blown it this time. There's scriptures that talk about obedience, and you've blown it. Do you see how the, the truth slips in, makes it palatable, and then, we be, and, then we, and then we begin believing it? I need some water. And then we begin believing it because it's palatable. So of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment that God gives to Moses when he comes down from Mount Sinai is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus, when he's asked about what are the, what are the greatest two commandments, he says, love your neighbor as yourself is as the second one. And the first one is what? Good, your Bible knowledge is so good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No one jumps into idolatry knowingly. No one does this. Everyone believes 
a lie. They believe it's something good. They believe it will make them happy. They, will, they believe it will satisfy them. They may even believe this will please God. So are you, are you ready for this now? So we've had a lot of bad news up until now. You know, here's the good news, that we don't have to wonder about who God is. Right? We don't have to wonder how he feels about us or what he says about us or what he says about each and every one of you. We know what he says as revealed in scripture is clear. And if you're not clear on who God is, then we need to spend some time in the scriptures. And we need to spend some time in community where people are living like Jesus and treating you like Jesus and being Jesus to you so you can experience the love of God, the tangible love of God through other people. In Colossians 1, 19 through 22, right after the verse that we read at the beginning, it says this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's who you are. He's, he's, he's gone to the cross to present you holy and blameless. He's, he didn't go to the cross so that you could present yourself holy and blameless. He's doing the presenting. Like, you're free. That's what the work on the cross is. Like, we're basically just talking about the gospel. Let's move on. There is like, this is just a sampling. And I'm about, this is just a sampling. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If you believe in Jesus, if you call him Lord and Savior, you have received reconciliation. Do you feel that? The reality of it. But we don't, we don't always live there. Let's keep going. Hebrews 4. 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do you need grace to help in your time of need right now. You have confidence to draw near to the throne. Jesus loves you. You don't have to earn it. Let's keep going. There's more. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God being rich in mercy. So who? who? God. And what is he like? He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He drops that in and raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, as if he needed to say it again. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to come back to that verse 10 in a moment because that's crazy. But this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. I'm going to go off on a little tangent for a second because I feel it. How often, how many of us struggle with, with perfectionism? We fail. We don't, we don't, we don't, we, we, we feel like we've, we fall in sin in some way. And then we start back over. We start a, a timer with God and we start back over and we need to earn his love again. That's not the gospel. And I, I feel this because like I spent so much time. I spent so much time there in that place and it's suffocating. And that's not God's will for you to stay in that place. If you have said, Jesus, you're Lord and Savior, I want you to come into my heart, God. And I want you to change my life. If you have prayed that, he's in you. The Holy Spirit, he's given the Holy Spirit to you. That's the reality of the gospel. So stop trying to earn it. And when you feel the temptation to, you send that back to hell where it belongs because that's, that's what it is. It's a lie. It's a lie to change who God is into something that he's not, to change what he's spoken into something that he hasn't spoken. And then you live under this new regime of a God who is making you earn it, which is just like every other God in the world that people offer. And God is different. Yahweh is different. All right, that's enough on that. So for we are, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this is crazy. So you are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. What's the definition of workmanship? The quality imparted to a thing by its maker. So whose workmanship are we? Come on. Does your head just explode? Because mine did internally. You know, it was like we are God's workmanship. We have the quality imparted to us by our maker. Isn't that amazing? You were made in the image of God, and so is every person on this planet. God has placed purpose and destiny in each one of your lives. And he's prepared amazing things for you to walk in, things you wouldn't believe if he told you. Genesis 1, 27, Jeremiah 29, 11, 13. But we can walk in those things. If We can't walk in those things if Jesus isn't first place in our life. And, you know, God, God's not a killjoy. He's not trying to just take your joy and all these fun things from you. He wants them to be enjoyed in him. So, you know, with all this first place stuff, he's not trying to take, he has more joy for you. It's like we have taste buds that are made for ribeye steak. If you like, hope you like steak. If you don't, pick another analogy. It's like we have taste buds made for ribeye steak and we're eating raw Brussels sprouts all the time. And we're like, isn't this the best? I, oh. I love raw Brussels sprouts. It's like, this is just so good for me. We, you know that, but that's what we do. And God has a feast prepared for, prepared for us. Thank you, Steve. Um, 
I mean it. I'm serious. Um, God loves you. And his desire is for you is to live fully alive. And in addition to that, we don't always like to talk about this, but God, he's a jealous God. You know, that's always like, ooh, jealousy, is that a good emotion? Uh, not always, but I, I love that God is, is jealous for me. I love that he's jealous for my affection. It makes me feel all giddy. So there, there's, there's, righteous, there's righteous jealousy and there's unrighteous jealousy. And if you don't, if you don't get that or if jealousy makes, makes you squirm, it's probably because you've been in a relationship where someone was being jealous of you and you felt suffocated and trust was eroded or because maybe you're, one of, you're someone who struggles with that. And it's hard to see how God could have such an ugly emotion. But if I go, if I called Meredith on my way home tonight and said, hey, babe, I love you so much. You're the only one for me. Um, I'm going to be home a little late. I've got a date with someone. Um, just another woman. Don't worry about it. I'll be home a little late. Love you so much. Bye. Click. You know, how would that go over? Not good. She would be she would be jealous for my affection. And I'm glad she would be. He's jealous of our love because he loves us. And the analogy with my wife doesn't even go this far because when we love anything more than him, we rob ourselves of the joy that we can only have in him. Does that make sense? Because we're made for him, like it says in the scripture we read tonight. He's also jealous for our love because when we live outside of relationship with him, we leave a wake of destruction in our, in our path, just like I did. You know, I, I did not make things easier on that girl and her relationship with God. As, as good as I was, as good of a boyfriend as I was, I left a wake of destruction because I wasn't modeling what a man of God should be. And you see that everywhere around us. When we believe who God says he is, when we simply believe in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, and then we obey and we're obedient to him to live how he told us to live, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're actually a blessing on the earth. We begin to affect the people around us and bless them and show them a different way, a different path, a way of being satisfied fully. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You've been, if you've been crucified with Christ, it's not you who live, but Christ in you. So when you live fully alive, when, when Jesus is first place in your life, Christ is exalted and people see him through who you are and how you interact to your workplace and how you interact in your relationships and how you treat others and how you're generous, all of the things. That's why we talk about practicing the way of Jesus together in Dallas in church on Sunday because it means something for our practical everyday life. It means it's a different way of living. And when we do that, man, Dallas is going to be changed. Your workplace is going to be changed. Your family is going to be changed. My family will never be the same because of Jesus, and I have nothing to do with it. It's all Christ and what he does and how he changes the dynamics between my wife and I and how I parent my children. I'm getting off topic. Jesus has to be first place in our lives. He has to be preeminent in all things. He has to be what you love most. And the, the, the beautiful thing about this, y'all, is that, y'all, I've been in Texas too long. Um, <clears throat> 
the beautiful thing about this is that it's not only on us. God has already taken the initiative. Amen? He's taken the first step. We're God's children. So if you, believe, if, you, if, you, if you have a relationship with Jesus tonight, if you've said yes to him, if you've called him Lord and Savior, you have uh, standing with him as a child of God. And his desire is to pursue you. I, I pursue my kids. I had a video. It wasn't going to really work. The sound was horrible. But I had a video of last Valentine's Day for Addie. It was one of our favorite days of the year. And I, I came home in a suit and a, and a tie, and I knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, and Meredith got her all dolled up and ready, and she came to the door and opened it. And I, you know, I just, I got down one day. I had a little rose, and I said, I said, Adelaide, you look so beautiful. I said, I would love to spend time with you tonight and just be with you. Would you come on a date with me? And she was like. <laughs> and then she just like ran into my arms and I just hugged. So it was like, that's amazing and that's so sweet. But that's how God pursues us. He pursues you if you would let him. But we put so many things between us and him, job and priorities. And I know some of y'all have like jobs. You're like, if I say no to this, they probably will fire me. I get it. I've been there. I worked in Dallas before I did this. And I had a conversation one time with my boss where I told him I wasn't going to do something because it was unethical. And I genuinely thought I'd come home that day without a job. And I had a, a child at home and a wife and no other source of income. I was like a little terrified. But God's faithful. He's faithful to see you through that stuff. And I didn't get fired, praise God. It actually earned me more trust with my boss. So 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, and I know that that example was about Addie and a little girl. Men of God, he wants to speak into your life. He, you know, he probably won't ask you on a date, but he wants to, but men of God, he wants to take you on adventures. He wants to speak into who you are. He wants to speak in, into you as a man of God and encourage you and lead you. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, see what kind of love the father has given to us. Come on, like, that we should be called children of God. I love reading this scripture how I think he meant it to be read. See what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what, uh, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone, this is amazing, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Whoa. So if you, if you hope in Jesus and if you hope to one day be like him, even the longing to say, Jesus, I want to be like you, God. Please, Lord, make me more like you. Remove the sin in my heart. I can't believe I said that to Meredith in that tone. God, remove whatever that is in me. I want to be more like you. Just the hoping that God's going to do that purifies you as Jesus is himself pure. Isn't that amazing? It just the longing to be like Jesus does that. So if I can have the band come up, wherever y'all are at, our, our band, our duo. Um, an amazing duo, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so if... if if you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit tonight, praise God. I think that's awesome because God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. When I had that night of God showing me everything I'd done wrong, 
it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't walk away from that with a feeling of condemnation. I walked away like feeling I needed to get on my face and thank him for his kindness, for being faithful to me throughout that time. <clears throat> Do you feel like you've been worshiping an idol? Do you feel like you've been believing a lie about who God is or about what needs to be first in your life? Like, I'd love to pray with you. Any of our life group leaders or section leaders would love to pray for you. If you feel condemnation and guilt about this right now, in the name of Jesus, that's a lie. Like he's removed that. That's why he went to the cross was to remove condemnation and guilt and give you confidence to draw near to God. Not to feel like you need to shame yourself and separate yourself from him, but to draw near to him. Amen? Come on. So, and if, if you're here tonight and you're like, oh, you know, I don't even know about my relationship with Jesus. I don't even know if I have one. Like, I kind of prayed a prayer, but I've never really felt anything. Like, Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and he wants to show you that way. He's, like, willing and ready. And if you would, if you would genuinely get on your knees and ask and say, Lord, like, I want to do things your way, man, he is faithful to show us that way. I can't imagine life without God's forgiveness. I can't imagine it for me. And the amazing thing is that I don't have to because it's been offered. It's been offered to you. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, God, I pray that you would begin a work in our hearts tonight, God. As, as, we, as we worship, Father, would you be lifted up, God? You're amazing, God. The fact that you even love us and consider us is incredible, God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the grace that you showed us on the cross. Father, thank you for your gentleness with us when we have been in sin, God, when we've not put you first in our lives, God, when we've run from you. Thank you for the gentleness and the love that you've given us. So Jesus, I pray that you would just be in this room, God, that you would convict and you would give your kindness out in great measure tonight that everyone here would feel it, would feel your love, would feel your love drawing them closer to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.